millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days, you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Whether you're a brand, large or small business or an individual, you need customers or clients, and the chances are some of your potential customers are probably listening to this podcast right now. From history, when Napoleon led Boulogne for a year, politics, if that person is poor, it's a bad neighborhood. Then you have the disproportionate police brutality, which is meted out instantly at people of color. Culture, had they written it that Chris called an ambulance for hours straight away, and we wouldn't have learned about the severity of alcohol withdrawal either. Well done to the writers. Thank you for making a wonderful podcast, but I'd give Rotherham a miss. Very. <laughs> <laughs> the Rotherham Tourist Board. Geekdom. The flag is a graphic symbol, not a verbal symbol. You know, why don't we just write France on the flag? I mean, we laugh when you think of putting a country's name on a flag. Society or music. Young people began to turn away from their parents' ethics and their style of dress and they began to dance to a new type of music. Royfield Brown's podcasts are downloaded just under 100,000 times a month. So putting your message here could well be a wise investment. If you have something to hawk, sell, or promote, why not email royfield at gmail.com and hear your product or service promoted to up to 100,000 articulate listeners today. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. This is Dumpty Dum, sponsored by managers. The show about the reality ducky drama that are centered in Ambridge in the heart of the Midlands. I'm the perfect romance who is Roy Field Brown, and with me are the questionable dalliance who is Kerry Warbis. 
And this week's unfortunate coupling is... Peter Fickley. And this week's uh, WDRM is from someone who sent me uh, that brass band rendition <laughs> of Barrett Green uh, some time ago. And me, because I was on virtual DJ yesterday having a play around. I thought, let's have a little bit of soft sell and let's mix it in. And it kind of went-ish, didn't it? I heard it all from you, didn't I, Auntie Kerry Warburton? Well, Tainted Love is definitely one of my Desert Island discs. That's the first song I heard booming out of a pub when I very first went out drinking underage in Wakefield. I mean, it's a great track as well, but it has a poignancy to it as well. Staggering mm. around Wakefield with a gut full of snake bites, <laughs> age 15. Something like that, yeah. It's also one of those songs where the cover is kind of better and well-known than the original. Yes. And that's... A lot of people don't even realise there is an original, do they? 20 yeah. years' time, if no one will even know that it was anything but a Royfield Brown classic. They'll be, you know, <laughs> this will become the definitive version. Folks, that's the, the lengths I've been uh, dragged to. The fact that I had to remix and do my own dum de dum because that's it. There's none left. <laughs> that's like... Because of that, folks, I spent uh, yesterday evening deep in a mix and I've put together a little something for you, which I'm going to put at the end of the show. All because you lazy bastards, <laughs> none of you spent in a dum de dum. Who sent in the um, brass band bit oh, that you this, mixed up? Um, whoever you are, you need to out yourself because I got this about February of this year. That I know because it's on my machines. We have actually played it out. Mm. However, I looked through my emails. None of the emails say uh, Brass Quartet Barrett Green. So you sent it through with a different subject matter and I just couldn't find it because yeah. obviously there's like you know, there's hundreds of emails sent through in February and January. So uh, whoever you are, please email in, out yourself, so your name can be up there in lights. Mom or Sir. And oh, talking about Mom or Sir. Oh my gosh, we've got news for you folks. This Friday at 4 p.m. and not 7 Jackie Smith, ex-Home Secretary, ex of Strictly, well, technically, she's still on it, is going to be doing a, a Friday Zoom. Uh, she emailed me last night, UK time, and said uh, the only time she can do anything before Christmas. So if you have a question about uh, Strictly for our Jackie, don't be dumb as supreme, just log on at 4 p.m. UK time this Friday. There'll be a Zoom, there'll be Jackie Smith. You'll talk about Strictly and a little bit about her love of the archers. Uh, it's a, it's going to be a busy week in Dum Dum Towers. Uh, Auntie Kerry Warburton, mm. we haven't even started the show and I feel <laughs> like we've been right in it. If somebody would like to send us in a Dum Dum so I don't have to mix in soft cell uh, mm. with Barrett Green, how can that be done? If you would like to sing us a Dumpty Dum or leave us a plot prediction, then call us on 0203 031 3105. Leave us a message on SpeakPipe or send a text message starting with Dum to 077 862 00690. Thanks to our social media supremos, Cosmo for his podcast roundups, Mike Hatton for his character counts, and Shambridge for her voices. Plus, of course, Lucy V. Freeman. On this week's episode, we hear views from Glyn Fuller Love, who's out and about, young Keith, who's on the top of a bus. 
you know, hanging out with all, with all the cool kids at the back, went in <laughs> silver-tongued Rainer. John from the Isle of Wight and also from Sweden. Red Agnes, Mandy Belshaw, she's back. And Pat from Leeds, Pete's favourite. And it's going to be a right royal show, folks. Just very quickly before we go on, because I've got to say this stuff at the top end of the show, because otherwise I'll forget because I'm a forgetful type of person. Dumdydum.com. I need you all to go on there. If you created account, created an account some years ago, dust off your account. If you haven't, please put your location and not that we need your absolute physical address. Just put the town or the area of London or the area of the city where you live. Just put that in because we've basically fixed Tractor. It's all kind of working. And we just need we need the database to update itself. So I've looked at the big map and I can see that we have loads of people in London. And actually, that is the reason why Red Agnes sent us in a call, because you can now actually message through the app other dum-de-dummers. So um, go on there, dust off your profile, go and have a look, see who's on there. In the next week, we will unveil Tractor 2.0. You're saying to yourselves, don't want Tractor. What I want is Pete and Kerry to talk about the hot topic of the week. So, folks... Right, and this week's hot topic is what is David Archer being set up for? Auntie Kerry Warburton, you're all fighting fit, you're recuperating, Mm. you're on your metal, go. I am. Yeah, David is featuring quite a bit at the moment, isn't he? Um, And what I'm enjoying most about this is that he's having quite a bit of (laughs) self-doubt. We've realised he's like 61 years old People are saying things about him such as, you know, he's one dimensional. He's even he even asked, was it Eddie? He said, um, you know, do you think I'm one dimensional? It's like, why has someone been saying something? It's like, oh, no, it's just inferred. He's, he's having a bit of a reflective moment and uh, not too soon, really, in my books. Tracy also described him as being not a laugh a minute to Roman. And he truly discovered that that was correct (laughs) in the session where they were doing the um, two truths and a lie. Is he cruising for some sort of enlightenment where he's going to grow as a person and realise that actually there's more to life than being a curmudgeon? Or is he cruising for a midlife crisis, late life crisis, three quarters life crisis? Don't know. Or is he going to do a a big David double down and just, you know, dig in even deeper, become even more curmudgeonly and even more cantankerous that the the other angle of attack on poor david's um calm is um that obviously lizzie sort of threw down the gauntlet that you know oh you know you you, you might say that uh vince is a you know what was your sheep what was it that david called vince um a rat yeah a, a number of different names actually yes and and lizzie said yes he might be all of those things but he, he'd still sit down with you and have a chat and so then david had to quickly sort of gather himself and you know admit that he would probably give it a go although not change his opinion so i think mm-hmm. yeah that everything's pointing to david having some kind of existential crisis and you've also got you know eddie on maneuvers um mm-hmm. undoubtedly about to sort of suffer stockholm syndrome and become one of the nighthawkers and actually join forces with them to to mount a full attack on marnie so that's going to be um, happening i think another one of my pet pet theories Go. I mean, we've been told off recently, Kerry, haven't we, for being um, too negative about David and various other characters. Yeah. Um, but 
I, you know, th- this is from the scriptwriters, you know, pens or, or keyboards. They have they have said, you know, in the mouths of other characters that David is, you know, one dimensional, is a bit set in his ways. Mm. He, he had to come up with three stories, and they were all about cows, or at least two. Were. <laughs> uh, so, you know, there's definitely some. There's definitely sort of tea leaves that we're supposed to be reading. Mm. Um, and I think it could be quite fun. I mean, you know, he's he. The, the, it's but it's actually maybe that maybe it's been trailered for a bit a bit longer than we think because obviously uh, Josh and Ben have been calling him Disco Dave, you know, quite a lot. Of the last mm. few months and all through the monologue yeah i mean he, he he was very rude wasn't he to roman about roman um and his acting career why did he say oh one episode of casualty um no he didn't get the uh downton gig it was just an audition yeah what, what's it, going on why why be like that all there's three of them in that room roman himself and oliver roman's obviously a new a new character sort of on mic it's also a bit weird for David to be bullying him. It's helping to position Roman for the for the audience, but also it's kind of like marking David out as being. I think I think it was quite spectacularly rude, especially when you've got um, Oliver being kind of puppishly enthusiastic. Yes. And, kind of, um, uh, and you know his his normally. Ch- I mean, I would find Oliver pretty frustrating to hang out with. I think because that that sort of relentless optimism would definitely jar with my sort <laughs> of you know actually more David esque personality. If I'm completely honest, mm. um, maybe that's why I dislike David so much, is because it's basically like some kind of um, horrible fictional mirror um but, yeah but yeah uh, uh, but it was it was it was really egregious the level of rudeness yeah he he, he clearly didn't really enjoy sitting there uh, you know and um he kept asking like how long is this going to take is it going to take up the whole hour that we're doing this um well that was worth it at the end he said it could just be that he doesn't want to be there at all and it's not really that personal against roman but he did make yeah. digs against his character and career didn't he well if we've uh, got the triangle kerry you've got um you mm-hmm. as the kind of like the, the the charming oliver character we've got me as the curmudgeonly david let's hear from roman Ro- royfield what do you think you know you're <laughs> the one with the the sort of like the you know pro acting chops hey what pro acting chops you know, do you know, i have you've got you know you're you've got a, a, a you know you can turn your hand to anything can't you you're a dj one minute you're a creative the next create you're a create you're a polymath so what? <laughs> <laughs> um, what I got from that scene mm. was very similar to what you're saying that, that David is fundamentally a one-dimensional, uh, boring man, and what he couldn't understand was that Roman—not that Roman is new to new to acting, very obviously he isn't—but he's new to doing this. And actually, it's a way of him getting to know the people in the village, you know, Oliver and David. So this is quite a standard and there's a slightly hackneyed way of loosening loosening people up for something like this. And David didn't understand that. Not only this is somewhat of a tried and tested way, uh, as I said, for loosening people up in in that type of Mm. environment, but also just for Roman getting to know who's going to be working with. And for David, as far as he's concerned, well, I've been doing the panto for years. We don't need to do this. Just give us a script and let's just get on with it type of thing. And and it just goes to to emphasise the smallness of David Archer's world. And I mm-hmm. think when we kind of chatted about this slightly before we, uh, before we did the show, there was mention of David and, uh, and the leather jacket, uh, mm-hmm. which was some point last year. And, and I think there is a problem with the older male characters in that they're in a, a grey area where they don't actually 
drive storylines. They react to storylines. Um, Jim and the childhood abuse was a real case in point in that that is so unusual mm. now uh, that you go, let me know, I can only think of one older uh, male character who's actually driven a storyline. Invariably, their partner dies. So you have the um, Oliver and Caroline thing, and then they have a storyline and they kind of react. Um, it's the younger characters actually drive storylines and, I would say, the women. So the character of David is actually in this real grey area where he is the patriarch of Brookie and actually uh, the patriarch of the whole kitten caboodle. Because Brookers, and we've said this so many times on, on the podcast, because Brookfield actually is the fulcrum of which the whole drama revolves around, nothing much really ever happens there, and it can't. And, a, and the very centre of Brookie is David, and it has to be the steady hand at the tiller. So on a narrative perspective, he's boring. Number two, uh, because strategically he has to be, then number two, historically been a little bit of a slightly grey character. And then he's at this weird age where, you know, we're not going to believe David Archer running off and having an affair, are we? We just aren't going to believe it. And then what else can he do? He's not going to make a rash decision and sell the farm because then it's not the archers anymore. So on the one hand, I have a certain amount of sympathy for him strategically, but he is bloody boring. And then what do we have the other side of, of, the, of that coin? Then is um, Kenton, you know, who is the real disco Dave, and, and he's a pantomime figure. So I don't know. Uh, I've, I've witted on for about two minutes, and I haven't really said anything. <laughs> So. <laughs> you have, you have. I was just thinking about older male characters who have driven plots, um, and Matt Crawford and Philip Moss sprang to mind. And oh, then yeah, but, I was thinking, but they're not core, though, are they? They're not they, core. They... No, yeah, that's true. But then I was thinking, Mince Casey is about to step in as a driver. He's not core, but he's attached to a core, isn't he? Yeah, he's mm. glorious. And that's going to be that's going to be fantastic. That um, I hope that they end up having a kind of grudging friendship. I mean, Lizzie forces them mm. to forces them to get together. So, I mean, one of the things I see in in myself that from through David is a kind of a, a naivety. David David sees the world in kind of moral absolutes. So Vince Casey's evil because he's he's moving the um, he's moving the abattoir from here to here, and it's not useful for his small group of farmers. And he doesn't ever have that kind of helicopter view. Like Royfield said, his world is very small and all perspectives mm -hmm. kind of are, 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 are through that limited aperture. And actually, I think when he sits down with, with Vince, uh, Vince is going to be one of these uh, multiple plot devices that show to David, you know, just how parochial and kind of like mm -hmm. limited his world is. And I think maybe, you know, he might have not a midlife crisis, but like a little moment of reflection. And, yeah. and actually uh, he might put down the leather jacket and go out and buy himself a nice um, kind of like tweed um, overcoat or something. Yeah. And just be joyful about the things that there are to be joyful about in his small world. Let's have a little touch of this. Hello, Ambridge3962. And let's start with Glyn Fullerlove. Hello, Dumpty Dum. It's Glyn here, on location again. Uh, I had hoped, given that pigs featured quite heavily in the archers last week, to be able to send you a photograph of pigs. 
but the pigs seem to be being more sensible than me and seem to have gone inside somewhere today. So you may just get a picture of pig arcs on the Dumpty Dum Facebook group page unless I can find an archive picture I've got of the same pigs. Sticking with pigs and with Rex, uh, so last week the farm fairy may have turned up trumps for uh, Rex with this council farm uh, that he may be putting in, in a bid for. And I'm wondering whether that will provide a, a storyline where he and Pip get together on the basis that Pip, feeling a little bit guilty of what's happened at Hollitree, volunteers to help Rex put his business plan together. As a result of that, they become quite close. And then Pip actually realises that if she teams up with Rex, um, in more ways than one, then she would have a, well, almost her own farm to run or to run in conjunction with Rex, rather than just being a worker effectively on her parents' farm. And I wonder if that would then also, she might think that provides a stable home for her and Rosie going forward. And maybe Toby will take his riches from selling scruff gin and head off to Brighton or somewhere. Okay, well, those are my thoughts on last week's Archers. I hope everyone in Dumpty Dum Land is staying well and safe. And thank you to the team for the podcast as ever. And speak to you again soon. Bye. Yes, the council farm thing was interesting, wasn't it? It did kind of pop up as if a fairy had provided it out of nowhere for Rex's future. It, it mm. does feel like there's been so many plots in the past where a council farm would have been uh, something people would have going, been going for, like Ed. Yeah. Or, um, you know, it just seemed weird that all of a sudden we were only just finding out about council farms. But fair enough. I mean, that's, you mm. know, that, that's perfectly reasonable. But yeah, certainly that's something I've never, never heard of before. And on the, the Pip front, you know, if that does all pan out, that he does get the council farm and has his own business, and will that then enamour Pip towards him? I was thinking about Rex and Kirsty possibly getting together when I was listing this week, obviously a bit further down the line. Would, would uh, they create a kind of worthiness black hole, just sucking <laughs> everything else into them? <laughs> probably. Just, you know, just the, the, how how unbelievably pleasant and good could they, good could they be to the, to the world? <laughs> yes, you have got a point, but I do think they're quite well suited. Yeah, and why shouldn't they? They both deserve a, a bit of luck romantically. I mean, so I was just thinking with them, it would be Pex or Rep or, or Rexipa, maybe for uh, um, Pip and Rex. You know, again, I don't want to be negative. I just don't feel like Pip deserves Rex. No, I don't. Um, she's had her chance several times with him. And, and I think it would be a, a bitter pill to swallow as a listener to hear you know, poor Rex throwing his life away. Could we have in one small village two uncles bringing up their nephew for slash niece <laughs> as their own child you know mm. that'd just be too much wouldn't it yeah you're absolutely right good uh, so that yeah. can't happen <laughs> i think i've said it before about rex and emma i think they're both due some good luck and i think they're due um some success i think the the script writers must sort of um instinctively understand that there's only so much that we as listeners can stomach of the of certain characters absorbing all the bad luck mm. and all of the abuse. I did you mean Emma be... then, or did you mean Kirsty? Oh, I meant Emma. Yeah. Okay. Um, cool. Oh, and Kirsty as well. I think yeah. that, that you know the three of them. The three of them have to stop being the you know the sole repositories for everything bad that happens mm. to people in in the village. 
Yeah. I mean, obviously, there are, is Helen as well and, you know, a few other people. My heart did sink a little when Glyn said that Pip might think, ooh, there's a nice farm future for myself as being a reason to get with someone. I don't like that. And dare I say, if you are basically the heir apparent or the heir presumptive to Brooker's, a little council farm is absolutely no substitute. You're going to look down your nose at that, aren't you? Yeah. Or what? Only, only seven. What was it? Seven years. Only seven years of security. I mean, so what would your equivalent be, Kerry? I mean, if I if I told you that I had a friend who was a butcher, would you sort of be like, oh yes, yeah, yeah? Maybe he could. He would right be, in. He'll be right up the list. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I tell you what, you'd have a lot of lamb you could put in your pocket. <laughs> yeah. I tell you. <laughs> I'd have to get bigger pockets. Yeah, I didn't. I mean, as I was saying that, I was like, "Yeah, this is going to get a yes." Kerry won't even hesitate. She's probably <laughs> probably even slightly disappointed. It's only a sort of a, a fictional. Yeah, I'd quite like Rex for myself. Thank you, yeah, all those Rex pigs. the butcher. Yeah. Mm. Uh, regardless of the fact that yes, it, it there is a what was the what was the phrase the the farm fairy. That I mean, mm. it's a very neat plot device but you know all all the better rex deserves it if it's you know if he's going to be the beneficiary of some kind of mystical um ambridge based benefactor then all the better and also before we move on wasn't neil lovely oh yes someone said on oh. Twitter, didn't they, how, how lovely it was to have neil's calming voice yeah. in our ears and he was really encouraging him and sort of going over the pitfalls that he's had to deal with in uh, you know in the past but you know look where i am now and it'll you'll come good he was really I just, he was wonderful, wasn't he? Very encouraging. And with precisely zero personal um, gain or benefit. Yep. He's, Rex isn't a, Rex isn't a family member, isn't going out mm-hmm. with any of his children. Yeah. Uh, he, you know, he's turned down in multiple opportunities to be mm. involved professionally. So, yeah. Real empathy there. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. And he even said nice things about Hannah. He did. He said she's calmed down. Yeah. Now that she's mm. got what she wants. Mm. Well, there you go. Neil Carter, Saint, uh, <laughs> Mr. Perfect in Ambridge, the Bill Roinger we all love. Now, uh, that's Glyn. Thank you for starting off proceedings, Glyn. Now we've gone on to young Keith, who's on the top deck of the bus, hanging out with all the cool kids. Young Keith here in a very dark and dingy morning in northeast London. And just a quick one, really, as per, I suppose they're always quick, aren't they? It's two minutes maximum. I haven't actually listened to Archers yet this week, but I was on the bus yesterday and I did sort of overhear stroke eavesdrop on a conversation that an elderly lady was having with her friend when she was bemoaning the Archers and uh, she was sort of going, oh, there's too many storylines. I was nodding away to that and she goes, it's not really true to life. And I thought, okay, don't know. So, oh, you know, someone should die from COVID really uh, <laughs> and cackled <laughs> and I, I like that bit. But then she said, oh, it's basically just the same as EastEnders or Coronation Street these days. It's stupid. I thought, oh, either I've not watched EastEnders recently enough and things have got really quite boring on there. (laughs) Or I'm not understanding a lot of the subtext on The Archers. I mean, there is an alcoholic, I will admit. But other than that, is it really on par with those? I don't know. But I enjoyed that nonetheless. Anyway, I'm going to listen now. And I hope that won't bother you with any more thoughts, but have a fantastic week. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Goodbye. (laughs) Actually, hi, me again. I've just been thinking. I do bloody agree with that woman about things not being true to life on the arches. I felt I should have turned around and said to her, people eating bloody out-of-season blueberries on that show, lovey-dovey. You don't know the half of it. He's obsessed Uh, with blueberries. Yeah. (laughs) 
I was replying to the first bit and I said I haven't listened to East End, I watched EastEnders or Coronation Street for years and years, so I don't have a clue really about how like the archers they are or vice versa. Do either of you watch those? It's not my cup of tea. I mm. don't I don't think mm. I've ever watched a, a televisual um, soap opera. I can imagine Roy if you're tucking into a bit of um, Coronation Street or a, a war. Well, no, I, I, I grew up on that stuff mm. at, at, at my mother's knee, so... Um, a bit of Betty Turpin, Ina Sharples in the 70s on Corrie. Yeah. And then, um, as is well documented on this podcast, I, really, I very much remember the first episode of uh, EastEnders with mm. uh, Reg Cox was uh, found dead uh, by Ali uh, from, you know, the, the taxi driver and from Ozcabs. <laughs> so, uh, but I gave up on EastEnders. I just couldn't do with, with the relentless plastic gangsters mm. and the various fights at the Vic round about 2004. And then I soldiered on with Corey for about another 18 months, two years, maybe. Um, but I, I, I've given up on, on that stuff too, because I, I used to love about Corey was just mm. the fact that there was so much humour in it. Yeah. And also it's kind of one of the things which I say that I love about the archers, which feels somewhat kind of contradictory, but I do like it when not much happens in the archers. And I liked it when not much happened in Corrie, but they judged it up in the 2000s and it was explosions every other week, the tram falling off into uh, into the street, all this kind of nonsense. And I went, you know what, I, I need a quieter life. So I just like, decided just to hunker down with the archers, basically. Mm. So, so, yeah, I haven't watched Corrie in about 15 years. So that, that's me done with it. My, uh, my very lovely brother-in-law watches um, Korean soap operas. He's a, um, a very respected and successful Australian gentleman, I, I think I would guess in his late 50s, early 60s. And yes, but I think, I think it's exactly what you're saying, Royfield. There's no opportunity of any stress. It's just preposterously sort of, um, good-looking people sort of um, engaging in mundane romantic activities. So um, if you, uh, dear listener, have a Korean soap <laughs> that you're into, why don't you uh, <laughs> yes. speak pipe in next week? Other than that, and K-pop, culturally, uh, well, what well, do well, we well, know? Don't say it. <laughs> are you going to call Korea the Southampton of, um, of Absolutely Asia? Absolutely not. Absolutely no. not. Absolutely <laughs> not. Absolutely uh, Korea, not. Korea, South Korea is the home of StarCraft, the greatest computer game that's ever been made. I used to watch competitive computer games. I used to pay a subscription to watch it with my cousins. This is the level of geekery that we're talking about. Climbing. Well, I don't expect anyone to understand or, or, or to uh, um, approve. Well, that's just a perfect way to segue into Jenny from Southampton. Hello, esteemed Kerry co-host, Positive Peter, Dumpty Dummers everywhere, and Royfield, Royfield, Royfield. Yes. It's Jenny from Southampton. After my call last week, you asked for three things about Southampton that prove it has a cultural footprint. Number one, Titanic. The Titanic sailed from Southampton in 1912 and left hundreds of Sotonian families, yes, that's what you call them, bereft of the family members that went with it. Number two, Southampton was a Georgian spa town and short-term home to Jane Austen. Number three, in more modern times, it has a whole load of cultural places to visit, from Tudor House in the Old Town to the Mayflower Theatre, Sea City Museum, and a very good art gallery. So there, more than three things. 
And although I take your point that it might take a local to know most of those things, come on, everyone knows about Titanic. On to the archers. I was a bit dismayed last week when Royfield, yes, you again, suggested that to fit the morality play structure, Alice needed to get her comeuppance. She's not immoral. She's ill. She might not be a very nice person sometimes, but I think that's completely separate. Just like he didn't need to like Helen to root for her, I don't think we need to like Alice to want her suffering to end. It was cruel of her not to give Chris permission to tell Emma, though. Emma deserves an apology and Chris needs someone to confide in. And I wonder if it'll somehow end end up being Gavin, as he already knows. Anyway, have a lovely weekend all and stay safe. Yes, Royfield, Royfield, Royfield. That was about the best two minutes of my life. (laughs) Absolutely wonderful. I feel like we should start a sub-podcast that's like the Fraser to the Cheers that is Dumpty Dum, (laughs) which is just Royfield being told off by um, Jenna. Anyway, Royfield, what do you have to say for yourself? Well, okay, number one, I think, uh, first off, uh, Jenny from Southampton, uh, wonderful to hear from you. You did kind of make my point for me. (laughs) Oh, my God. Didn't you? And you actually did say that. You said, yes, you have to be from Southampton to know know them. Even down to the fact that we don't even know what somebody from Southampton is even called outside of Southampton. There isn't a colloquial name for them which has any resonance within the UK. There is that. Um, When it comes down to Titanic, I take that to a small degree, but Southampton is only known for people leaving the city is what really what you're saying. <laughs> and people from Belfast also claim a bit of Titanic-ness because mm-hmm. uh, the Titanic left Southampton, went to Belfast before then it ventured into the northern Atlantic and then hit an iceberg. So, you know, you speak to people from Belfast and they kind of claim the Titanic as well. So, again, mm, Pretty slim pickings, really. So basically, you've agreed with me. Now, on the morality play thing, I think, let's say, although I said that somewhat inelegantly, what I meant was there has to be some level of consequence because part of the remit of the BBC is uh, to educate, inform, and whatever the other one is. So this isn't just a, a great plot device. Also, it's a health message. You did say that was my point. you did say all of that last week. I don't think it was inelegant of you. I think it was really simplistic, which is what I said last week. And I agree with Jenny. She's not immoral. <laughs> She's ill. And Jenny's correct, and so am I. It's yeah. not as right. difficult as you made out. I think, you know, yeah, of course there are going to be consequences. As Peter said last week, you know, she's already suffering. She wasn't enjoying herself in the bathroom. And she's not a bad person. She, yes, we we don't have to like her. And we didn't like, well, I certainly didn't like Helen before any of that happened to her. But I could properly sort of sympathise with her situation. And I just think she got, she nailed it. Alice isn't immoral. She is ill. She has an illness. And I feel for her for having that. Don't think I said she was actually immoral, though. Well, you really but, but, in in really bold terms that you know if you do something wrong, there's got to be a comeuppance. But if you, know, you yeah. said there's good and there's bad, and basically, I was mm. saying she isn't at either end of those things. She, there's there's more nuance to it because of but, her being ill. But I did also somewhat slightly pass the book by saying the morality police, of which I'd never said that I was part of the morality police, and I didn't say that something bad needs to happen to her. Uh, but, but, particularly but I, I appreciate that uh, people could have thought that that's actually what mm. I 
was uh, saying and believing. It couldn't be further from the truth. But, you know. I thought that they've written it very well this week because I, I've been on a bit of a roller coaster like we all have with Alice. You started off sort of maybe viewing her as this shallow um, binge drinker. Then, you know, the, her, the full depth of her alcoholism has revealed itself and then you'd have to be fairly hard-hearted not to be sympathetic with her situation, sort of the agonies over the, uh, you know, how she was failing her unborn baby. And then this week we got, you know, Alice the entitled princess again. And I think mm-hmm. they're doing a good job of sort of allowing you to experience that nuance of feeling sympathy and empathy. And at the same time, they're going, for God's sake, you selfish cow, you know, mm-hmm. just you're, you're being given some help here. Be grateful, you know, and, and um, I can't remember who it was. Uh, someone on Twitter, definitely a friend of the program said, um, you know, she's she she uh, she called out that she was doing it for Chris. She says, oh, I'm going to do this for you. Um, and um, she should be she should be going there for herself. It shouldn't be a. It shouldn't be considered. She shouldn't be viewing it as an altruistic gesture to be going into rehab. Um, and and then also, of course, sorry, very quickly, not allowing Chris the 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 release of talking to his own sister and unburdened yeah. guilt. Yeah, I mean, you know, she's she's not a nice person, Alice. Uh, we've we've heard her be horrible. Some of that was driven by the alcohol. Yeah. Uh, and some of it was driven by the reasons why she's drinking, <laughs> uh, which is that she probably isn't that keen on herself, to be honest with you. Um, I had a thought about that this afternoon, Kerry, just after mm. we spoke. Um, Roy Field, we had one of our traitor t- chats this afternoon. I was thinking about people who have drinking problems. And I, you know, I've said before, I've had my my flirtation with some problems with booze. I've never had the, the, the cho- to choose between paying for booze and um, any any toll that any of my friends any of my friends or any of my family have paid for me drinking has been you know uh, dealing with my behaviour you know and Alice doesn't have that excuse she's she, her unpleasantness she she doesn't have to she's always able to afford her booze there's no it's not like she's you mm-hmm. know, she, she, it's not like she's having to choose between shoes for her children and a drink in the pub that's the kind of you know that's the kind of cliche mm-hmm. isn't it the person whose childhood was ruined because the father spent all their rent money your sympathy for her really does run out quite quickly when she starts being unpleasant to Chris or unpleasant to other people. He's, mm. he's just he's just sunk them into enormous debt in order to sort of cover up her cover yeah. up her embarrassment. No yeah. other reason. Her parents could pay for it easily. And all of that, you know, how can you abandon me? I thought you loved me, saying that to Chris. Yeah. And and bless Chris for saying, you know, I'm totally out of my depth here. I was so glad that he said that. You know, we need expert um, help here. Um, and then he had to actually say, do you love me? Then do it for me. It was him who kind of pushed that to switch it up. Yeah. Um, because, just yeah. To play devil's advocate, um, are we being unfair on Alice that calling her out for using um, love as an emotional blackmail and not Chris? Or do you think the fact that he is um, trying to help her or trying to get her into a position to seek help is it makes it kind of fair play? Uh, I think he was sort of batting it back. Really, he's yeah. he's had that uh, thrown at him a lot. Yeah, and he okay. was just like, "Hang on a minute, no, it's you know, think of yeah. it a different way." And, and her thinking that in two weeks everything yeah. is going to be back to normal. Oh my god! Well, Witherspoon said, and someone else said online about how this is just the warmer pact. This is just the detox. Mm. The rehab will be happening afterwards because I think, didn't I, last week I said, oh, you know, it's a very yeah. short amount of time. Mm. Um, but um, but actually, no, this, this is this is just the this is just the start of things, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, she's very naive if she thinks she is. Time. Yeah. Yeah. I don't see how she can do it without her family's help. I just don't think it's possible. 
Me neither. And I get, obviously get that the shame, it's funny because I, I, I tweeted, I said, you know, it is a shame she feels, and you know, that she can't tell her family. And actually it is shame that means she can't yeah. kind of thing. So, but to be able to do that is going to help her massively. And I get that at this point in time, that's not at the forefront of her mind. She just doesn't want anyone to know about this awful situation. But it's definitely got to happen. It's only her, awful because she's been horrible to people. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, she 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 did does feel the shame of it, doesn't oh, she? She doesn't want to. Sorry, drinking during pregnancy as well. I was forgetting about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know it's front and center, but I was thinking about it from a very you know very specific point mm. of view. But yeah. Yeah, and, and I do think, as you mentioned, the denying Chris the opportunity to have someone to speak to about it when she's off at this detox place is is a dreadful thing for her, especially Emma. And I know, again, she it's her pride, isn't it? She doesn't want Emma to be right. But surely Chris has to be afforded the opportunity to build back that relationship with his sister, who actually was right. Yeah. Way back, way back when, when we first um, were doing the podcast together and um, and the, the, the this plot line kind of it was just starting, I, I gave my very strongly held belief that that um, alcohol doesn't have a personality. It reveals, you mm. know, it reveals the truths that we sometimes hide underneath. Uh, it exaggerates, maybe, but you know, fundamentally, that you know, you don't suddenly become a monster because you've had a drink. It just it just shows mm. that part of you. And I think we've had, you know, um, so if Alice is embarrassed of her behaviour, she's embarrassed of herself. Yeah, and she's, you know, it's 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 not. Uh, and I hope that you know, as she has this therapy, it is an opportunity for her to become a better person. Um, mm. Because, yeah, but, uh, you know, this week I think we saw a bit of the unpleasantness and a bit of the selfishness mm. that sort of drives a lot of her behaviour in her treatment yeah. of Ed, her treatment of Emma, and now Chris. Yeah. That's uh, Alice and her psyche and a um, lack of any kind of moral niceness uh, kind of just about uh, dealt with and dealt and um, exposed there. Yeah, Kerry, by, you'd think he'd uh, learn his lesson, wouldn't, he, wouldn't you? Posts. No, I wouldn't. I've, I've, uh, I've, I've experienced him for too long now. Let's make this into a positive. It's commendable that you can you can field a whole load of criticism quite elegantly. I will admit about um, being so bold with your statements, and then and then there you go again. It's uh, it shows an incredible amount of chutzpah. Oh no, no, <laughs> that's a good word. Uh, thick, thick-skinned me, sir. Right, and uh, all, all you know, half of what I say is just to uh, elicit, solicit a, a response from either the listeners or from my uh, uh, co-hosts, and um, and I think that you pair, a, you know, a really elegantly and expertly dealt uh, with with Alice and a, you know, the unpleasantness which is at her core and the the moral blankness. And I now think it's time to move on to John from Sweden and the Isle of Wight. All right, Dumpty Dummers, it's John from the Isle of Wight from Sweden here. Just want to say, I think both the Archers and Dumpty Dum have really picked it up a level and it's almost better than ever at the moment. Maybe we were a bit starved during the monologue period. Not from your side. I'm not saying Dumpty Dum was suffering during that. I'm saying the Archers was substandard. Dumpty Dum has always held a high, high level. But now the Archers is back to normal. It just seems better than ever in my mind. I absolutely love it. 
I've hit the sweet spot with listening. I save the omnibus until Dumpty Dum comes out. And I listen, listen to them back to back, which is perfect because I don't need to make up my own mind. I don't have to think. don't have to form any opinions. Dumpty Dum just tells me exactly how things are in the world of arches. I'm such a big fan and I love it so much. Thanks for everything you do. Cheers, guys. OMG, that was lovely, wasn't it? John in Very the Isle nice. of Wight. He's in tier one in my books. Um, yes. <laughs> literally, he's one of the three places in the UK, isn't he, that's in tier one. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, the yeah, Isle of Wight, Cornwall, and oh, what's the third one? Don't know, but the Isle of Wight is one of them. That was very nice. And uh, mm. I, maybe how I should listen to um, uh, um, the Archers from now on is, uh, you know, the weeks that we aren't doing it, Kerry. Yeah. Um, I should wait to hear what Philippa and um, Quentin and Rosie have to say about um, things so that I don't have to, I can save myself the agony of forming opinions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not having to think does have its, its appeal at times, doesn't it? Although, yeah, I, I just as soon as you said that, I realised that does suggest that any thought process goes into our warblings at all you know yeah <laughs> true <laughs> but do you think it's do you think that i mean i i mean maybe maybe it is a kind of juxtaposition from the mm. you know with the uh, monologues but i i was very public about enjoying the monologues i think i just think the archers has been good recently um you know just very uh, um quentin was quentin was a bit worried last week about just how brutal the shower scene was with Alice. But mm. apart from apart from maybe some rough edges like that, if you know if that's a bit distasteful to you, I do think the level of writing, the kind of how rounded out the characters are, how rounded out the characters, the the, the general blend of fun and serious um, plot lines has been done very very well. Yeah, yeah, it has really hit form, hasn't it? I'm really really keen for it to get back to the um full set of episodes and i did see on twitter that um kerry davis he he was quite active on twitter wasn't he over the weekend um he replied to people that it's actually still going to take quite a long time he did say next year but he was being very vague and he did say a long time so i don't think it's going to be in the first part of next year at all but um it's a shame isn't it because i'd love to have these episodes that are now happening to be fleshed out a little more each week now Mm. that we're used to them is maybe a sunday monologue because i think royfield said in the past and i've definitely said in the past that the sunday episodes had a more kind of um they would they they didn't do much kind of big plot exposition on a sunday Mm. so maybe they could just do a little kind of monologue every sunday just to give give us that little bit of extra content um i know that my suspicion is that royfield will think that's a terrible idea but um i'd be curious Mm. Well, then when are we ever going to hear about how Ambridge are doing in the cricket if there's monologues on a, on a Sunday? It's just like, no. <laughs> just a low-impact um, way of them being able to predictably give some extra content. That I have been missing the um, a Friday or a Sunday, and maybe mm. that, you know that would be a sort of little, um, what's the cliche, a bit of methadone instead of the, the full mm. heroin of a cricket episode. I know that, I know, you know the visceral excitement of hearing them go to, you know, toe-to-toe with Darrington. I quite enjoyed those Sunday ones that were sort of something and nothing, but just yeah. tidied you over. Sort of gentle stuff, wasn't it? Yeah, a little bit of a set me up for the Monday. The third place in tier one, by the way, is the Silly Isles, I've just remembered. Look at that multitasking, Kerry. Yeah. No, I remembered it. Oh, okay. So I oh, can sorry. remember that, but I can't, I can't remember what's happening in the arches. <laughs> I'm sorry, I was, I was judging you by my own shoddy standards. So I just assumed you must have had to have Googled it. Yeah. I knew it was a sort of obscure, well, it, well it's not an obscure place, but you know. I mean, they've obviously just chucked a couple obvious. in so that there is actually three tiers. 
anyway, sorry, that's yeah, off topic. Could, maybe. <laughs> I wonder if we have any listeners in the eyes of silly. Hmm. We can look on tractor. Can I shame myself and admit that I are they the ones that are off the coast of Cornwall? Yes, they are. Okay, I'm okay. I'm, I'm still ashamed because I didn't know for certain, but not ashamed as I was. Mm. With the lovely benign uh, climate. Is it the one where you're not allowed to use cars and it's all um, golf carts and um, horses? My gut is to say yes, because I think they're so small, but I could be wrong. Okay. I could be getting mixed up with the, the Channel Islands and like Alderney or something or another. But all I know is that it's subtropical, it's super lovely and warm. And yes, it's off the coast of Cornwall. Oh. Other than that, cultural footprint's kind of lost on me, really. But anyway, uh, we're retreading old ground, folks, <laughs> and uh, we don't really want to do that. Uh, so, John, uh, from the Isle of Wight, forward slash Sweden, uh, you can have to explain the Sweden bit for us, uh, John, but thank you for calling in. Now, it's Red Agnes, we're going up north. Hiya, Royfield, and your naughty chums, and dumpty dummers all around the world in space. It's Red Agnes here from Grim Up North. It's feeling pretty grim up north at the moment. Um, fortunately for me, I get out and about to meet people, count how many toes they've got and how many legs they've got. Unfortunately, Mr Agnes is tra- trapped for 10 hours a day in our tiniest bedroom running virtual courses. He used to get out and about um, and eat meals in nice restaurants and what have you, and now he gets a tin of soup a day. Poor sausage. It was interesting to hear the comment last week about the man who said, um, why are you always horrible to all the characters and why do you listen? Well, in that part of it, I was always taught it was nice to be nice with real people, but it's delicious to be horrible to fictitious ones. I'm smiley nice to probably about 20 people a day, so I listen to the archers so I can be bloody horrible to all of them. <laughs> and to be honest, most of them deserve it. See you soon. Yes. Bye-bye. Yes. Yes, she's right, isn't she, Red Agnes? Well, I'm not saying that means we're right, but I, it pretty much does. Uh, she's right. Yeah. She's right, so therefore we're right. You can be beautifully lovely to real, actual people. You know, even I am. I can testify, yes. (laughs) But yeah, and, you know, the little added bit that she said at the end there was that most of them deserve it. So, you know, I've written that down. Yeah. That said, Mm. I do appreciate this unrelenting wall of negativity might be a a difficult listen. And I have I have taken that feedback on board just as sort of a a, the the tap left running from our our bile ducks might be a bit sort of palatable. I don't think it is unrelenting because we say nice. We do like some of the characters. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's my my love of Vince is almost unbelievable. Joy, Neil. Emma, lovely, lovely Emma, and and it's not a it's not a sexual thing. I don't fancy Emma. I just I just want good things to happen to her. But I don't think I fancy a single a single one of them. Mm. The next call is Quentin Rayner. Hello again, fellow addicts. This is Quentin Rayner. Well, I've been a, a pig in muck this week. What with Neil being back on the scene, <laughs> reassuringly giving Rex really helpful and kind advice about what to do with his swine after those swines, the archers, turf him out. And who knew council farms existed before this episode? I certainly didn't. And in fact, I tweeted about this and very knowledgeable people replied that they're still available, but somewhat rare. Now, like Kerry, I'm detecting that the Nighthawkers storyline is another infuriating distraction the scriptwriters have dug up on a par, I fear, with the naughty milkman. But at least we get to hear from Eddie again. 
and of course will my thanks to mia fox who told us on the dumpty dum website that celia imry's son angus imry who plays josh archer also plays prince edward in the current series of the crown and i once interviewed hrh so there's a shameless piece of name dropping for you to groan about mm. finally a bit of feedback for peter 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 whose tweet about Alice's bathroom meltdown was quoted on Feedback, no less, last week, and who celebrated his own 46th birthday on Sunday by sleeping through the tweet-along. That's dedication for you. Anyway, I hope my riveting contribution hasn't sent him back into a slumber. Toodle-pip. Uh, well done, Quentin, on outing yeah. Peter's birthday. Oh, yes, your birthday, Peter, yeah. Quentin was saying about having uh, interviewed an HRH. Um, my my dad taught Princess Margaret to ice skate. No, not Margaret, Anne. Ah. Yeah, at the at the Sarajevo Winter Olymp- Winter Olympics, where he was uh, he was doing stuff. So that good was, um, So yeah, Quentin has actual contact with the royal family, but you know, mm. I have sort of tangential. Do I you think you, your I... dad has watched The Crown, Peter? No, no, it's not his cup of tea. He's a watch other people live a life when he could be busy doing his. Outrageous. <laughs> Yeah, you did sleep through the tweets along, didn't you, on your It was birthday? glorious. It was one of the mm. best things. So obviously we all love our children. We've you know, we've we've been boring about that in the past. But I because I'm a new father, I didn't realise how wonderful your children being ill could be. Um so <laughs> my wee boy was uh, up uh, for about an hour in, in in the nighttime and we got rewarded the next day. I didn't get out of bed till eleven thirty. It was one of the greatest things that's ever happened to me. <laughs> Yes, they're pre- very precious. Those lions, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, it's the it's the I think the second one in two years. So just Golly. amazing. Yeah. Well, happy birthday, Peter. Thank you. Yes, forty six. Mm. Uh, can I just ask the pair of you a question? Because this came up uh, around the dinner table yesterday mm. when I was bemoaning the fact there were no dumpty dums, and I was going to have to, you know, craft one with my own fair hands mm. and my own fair laptop. And I went, right, uh, let's go 80s, let's go soft sell, let's see if we can uh, work that in. And people of a certain age will go, hey, I know what you're doing there. Mm. And the doom, doom comes in and you did exactly that. Mm. Now, I was trying to think of 80s bands and I went blamange. And I went, know the name, couldn't think of one blamange Living on the ceiling is one of them. I used to dance to Blamange in Raffles Nightclub in Wakefield. They're very we'll good. Wakefield again. Yep. Just think if Phil, Oakey, if Phil Oakey had been in, in your nightclub instead of one in Sheffield, it could have been you yeah. up there singing away. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, it could. I was in a band, as you know, but not the human league. Have you got he's he's a bit older your... than me. But, but, the, but the singers weren't, though. There would have been... About your age, because yeah, they're exactly. only like two or three years older than me, as I seem to remember. That was the whole thing. When we we're at school, like all the girls were, oh, that literally could have been me, because they were humanly, I must have been about 13 humanly. They were like mm. 17 or something like that. So we we're in just about touching distance. Wham, you know? Pepsi and Shirley, the same thing. Um, who did pass the duchy? Um, musical youth. Musical youth. They, <laughs> oh. were, they, were, they, were being, they were literally being pulled out of school to go to Top of the Pops famously, weren't they? Um, mm. And I spoke to Dennis Seaton, the lead singer, and they didn't tell anybody at school that they were going to be on top of the pops. Oh, blimey. 
Phil Oakey's can 65. I, he's 10 years older than me. I knew he was a lot older. But, this but was, it was the girls, though. This was in the it's good old sing- days, uh, um, Kerry, where a, a man <laughs> in his 30s go, go, go trawling in clubs to sort of find some impressionable teenagers to pop on the pops, pop on the tops of the pops. Oh, one of them is 57, Suzanne. Mm. And the other one is 58. Yeah. I mean, I'm only, as we know, 46, and I used to, um, there was a nightclub in my town that, basically everyone knew to avoid because it was all young girls and much older men. Did it have a goodly terrible name? No, the one in Cambridge was called Cinderella Rockefellers and then the one in um, um the one in Newmarket <laughs> the one in Newmarket was called De Niro's, but I can't remember what the one in Ely was. Mm. Um, yeah. Other Blamonchets, don't tell me. Do you remember that? No. Yes you do. Blind vision. People will be expecting us to play out Blamange, and I'm not. I want to play out my own little little mix, which I did with Bob Marley and, and Jamming. Uh, but uh, maybe there'll be a soft bed of Blamange underneath this as we talk. All right, so uh, that is uh, 80s music uh, covered. It's a soft bed of Blamange, aiding your owl pleasure. Now it's Pat from Leeds. It's Peter's favourite. Hello there, everyone in Dumpty Dumland. Um, it's Pat from Leeds here. Well, we've learned some things on the archers this week, haven't we? We've learned that Oliver knows how to mount a penny farthing. <laughs> we know that David hasn't even got one dimension because his cow exploded and destroyed his dimension. We know about council farms, which I'd never heard of. So that was all very interesting. But I suppose mainly everybody's thinking about Alice and Chris. It has been horrible, a horrible experience, Alice, and for Chris. I do feel sorry for them both, but I, just when she was about to go into the rehab place, Chris asked if he could tell Emma and said, because he'd said some horrible things to her. And then Alice said, well, she deserved it. And I thought, oh, no, Alice, don't say that. Mm. Is she really that horrible or is it just because she's in such a state? I don't really know if it's strong enough to be a plot prediction, but I know we're all, I think uh, we're hoping that Emma will turn out to be a good support for both of them. Emma and Ed, actually, because Ed has had his own addiction issue. Mm. So I'm really hoping that that will turn out to be a really nice relationship that Emma and Ed will support Alice and Chris. But I suppose it's much better for the... uh, drama point of view if uh, if they'd keep it a secret in real life i think that's unwise <laughs> i know it is real but you know what i mean anyway <laughs> i'm sure i've been rambling on so i'll say goodbye to everybody and stay safe and love to you all bye love to you pat too yeah i did say about the emma and alice bonding thing quite a while ago on twitter and on here and on Twitter, I got kind of laughed off the park, but I think people are coming around to it now as being a possibility. And I really, really, really hope that that does happen. What What do you two think about the likelihood of that? I think it's the um, the cliche where your life really does hit the skids and you find out who your friends are and they're not mm. necessarily the people. And I know that Emma has said very clearly she doesn't like Alice, but I also don't think Emma's someone to particularly, you know, in a very good way, sort of be sort of stick to an opinion unnecessarily. Mm. And I think she would do the right thing. And also, Emma, yeah. 
we did have the scene where Ed tried to say to Alice, she's, he did it twice, once when she was tipsy and once when she was absolutely smashed, mm-hmm. where he basically said, I'm here for you, I'll support you, you know, you can talk to me anytime. And obviously yeah. because it's Ed, you know that hasn't gone away. And he's also, Emma and him have a strong enough relationship where he'll support Alice even if it pisses mm. Emma off. Yeah, I think that is definitely going to be the case. I don't know how Chris will cope with that, but... You know, I've been saying, I was last week, I was quite smug in saying that, oh, hey, look, Alice and Chris, their relationship does have some, uh, you know, there is something there. Um, mm. People were wrong to suggest it was you know, that it was going to collapse under all this strain. But I might go back on that opinion a little bit, because if Alice is going to basically put Chris in a situation where he's he's got to sort of... Um, compromise his life and sort of so if yeah. he's got to be forced to treat other people badly in order to protect his wife's you know ego i think that that could put a significant strain on them and that might be more difficult than supporting her through whereas actually being forced to do something wrong by someone else really is quite difficult yeah and also while i've got a moment um how hilarious is pat pat packs more comedy into a couple of little drier sides than and we do into about two hours of recording i love to david's not even got one dimension because his cow exploded and ruined it that's so funny yes she's brilliant please ring all the time pat (laughs) pat you have enlivened our goings on here and as uh kerry says Please keep calling in. Now, mm. Auntie Kerry Warburton. Yes. Do we have any emails with an H? We do. We have one email and we have another thing that you sent me from somewhere else, wasn't it? Anyway, I'll do the email first. Uh, this is from Helen and she says Hello, Royfield and Dumpty Dummers. Long time listener, first time caller in a uh, of the vi- not caller in a email of the vintage Emma Will Ed love triangle here. I'm interested to hear the positive response to the storyline of Alice and the revelation of her alcoholism, as I really disagree. Wonderful acting, and I don't want to take away from that, but as a spouse of an alcoholic, I found the whole scene unbelievable overdramatic and it made me cringe. Although every experience is different and I'm sure these dramatic situations happen, I think it risks reducing the portrayal of this issue to one of high drama instead of the mundanity and secretiveness that many alcoholics and their families live with. I don't think the writers gave us misdirection on how much Alice was drinking. I think it was an accidental omission rather than intentional. They could have built that understanding and secretiveness of her drinking much better as a long-term storyline. Very, very pleased to hear such an important issue getting airtime, but less over-dramatisation, please, and more exploration of the day-to-day mundanities of how she and Chris deal with her addiction. Thanks. Mm. That was exactly my opinion when I first heard it. I, that precisely, I could, in fact, I couldn't put it better. That was exactly how I felt. I was irritated by how dramatic it was. Mm. Uh, and part of that came out of the fact that it was so different to my experience. And so I actually took the time, and I hinted at this last week, to reach out to, few, to a few people. I researched the um, Alice, how she would be dealt with in terms of rehab. I talked to my friend, the social worker, but I also reached out to a few people who had drinking problems to ask them about whether they thought it was realistic and one person in particular said that was it it, it was quite true to their experience 
um, which doesn't discount the fact um, that by going so big with the alcoholism story, um, we, you know, with the with the with the full DTs, with the um, with the kind of almost with the spin will correct this, but almost like a psychotic episode in the mm. in the bathroom, they are leaning into the more dra- dramatic side of the multiple different faces of alcoholism. I don't disagree, but I have I have heard from people who say that it was true to their experience. But also, I don't think I do think they went too big on it um, if they're try- from a kind of public health point of view. Mm. It it has been a long term issue for her, hasn't it? As we have discussed before, there have been signs of it, you know, where she got drunk at yeah. a funeral and hiding the whiskey and on we've gone with her sort of showing herself up in various situations and being secretive. So it has been long term in that regard. However, we did talk about this last week about how it seemed to just very, very suddenly and violently ramp right up to that very highly uh, dramatised scene in the bathroom. I don't have enough experience to know this is the problem. I think the fact that she's pregnant and not an alcoholic on her own without being pregnant is going to surely heighten everything, is it not? That that was part of my concern was that the that the message is this level of drinking is what what is is the relevance to alcohol fetal syndrome. Mm. And I think from a public health point of view she shouldn't be drinking so um, so heavily, so they should almost split the two plot, you know, split it into two. Okay. From, mm. I'm only looking from a public health point of view. I'm not looking at it from a dramatic point of view at all. So mm. let's talk about that level of drinking, and let's talk about drinking during pregnancy. But confused, mm. but muddying the waters with the two, I think, sends out a series of mixed messages. And going back to Quentin's call as well, because he mentioned the feedback piece, and I know you listened to it, Peter, because you actually featured in it, even though your own voice didn't. Feature feature in it no i had the option but anyway sorry yeah yeah <laughs> um and they kind they touched on this too didn't they because um there were some tweets read out and then there were two women talking about uh whether they felt that this handling of the situation was over the top or did it sit well within the archers or or what and I think both of them from memory did feel that it had gone a little too extreme didn't actually listen to it because oh, I, did you um, not? Okay. no because you and you mm. and Rosie had both listened to it and so I just mm. I just I just read what you what you mm. taken from it I didn't um I, I didn't feel like I needed my own opinion yeah it's I, quite I, brief I, you know it's a tiny portion of of the feedback program I'll get round to it I just um yeah mm. I hadn't I hadn't heard I'll be I'll be curious to hear what they say I just think they're trying to tick off too many issues in in you know in one plot line mm. But we're going to finish up with, you've got another I electronic do. mail of some sort. Yes. A missive. Royford, I do. It was from Drew Hamilton. Can you remind me on which forum this appeared? Because you sent I a think, screenshot to me. Yes, I think this is the Flick app. So big up okay. to the Flick up posse, cool. which Drew Ham- from Hamilton over there in Tokyo is probably the most prolific poster. Him along with uh, Stephen Bowden. Ah, I I enjoyed this because he starts off by quoting me being sarcastic. Um, So he quotes me saying, and we all love a good potato for breakfast, (laughs) which is what I said last week. And then he goes, don't Brits eat potatoes at breakfast? And then Stephen B replies to this question, very important question, by saying potatoes have no place in a full English breakfast. Unfortunately, it appears that hash browns are spreading across British menus, 
driving out fried bread, <laughs> just as interloping grey squirrels have tried to drive out the lovely native red squirrels. This must be stopped. That said, ham, egg and chips is an acceptable breakfast in England under some limited circumstances. In brackets, ham, egg and chips is only acceptable in the covered market in Oxford. <laughs> Obviously. Um, I'm all with you on the fried bread front there. Thank you. Then Drew says back, a full English includes disgusting mushrooms. So I don't think that needs to be the final word in acceptable ingredients. I love mushrooms, by the way, as well. So normally we are here to sort of offer opinions or, <laughs> or our points of view and i'm afraid we're moving into the realm of fact now the american breakfast is better than the british breakfast it it almost limitlessly um better um and especially oh. these days yeah no i mean it's just crisp home fried potatoes or a, a or a or a sort of a, a hash brown you could bounce bullets off bullets off all of the other ingredients picked you know, as you want them, delivered as you want them, always hot, never swimming in grease. I mean, it's untouchable. And I and I used to be, I used to be um, quite you know patriotic about my English, uh, full English breakfast until I lived in America for five years, and I'm afraid I fully switched. In your view, the American breakfast differs from the English slash British breakfast in that the English British one is served sometimes cold and swimming in grease. And doesn't involve a hash brown. People will always cite some amazing cafe that's around the corner from them, or it'll be some, you know, like, oh, but you mm. haven't been to Mrs. Miggins in, you know, mm. copyright Blackadder. Um, you haven't been to wherever. We're not talking about, you know, these exceptional places. Like your average greasy spoon, the breakfast is truly dreadful. The meat, the meat, you can always taste the torture that's gone into producing it. The tea is only good when you're in your 20s and you needed the, the two or three spoons of sugar to sort of help you get over a hangover but you know an american breakfast you get a bowl of fruit you get you get um what else do you get royfield a bowl of fruit yeah lovely bowl of fruit we're not interested in that limitless coffee we're talking about fried breakfasts here the um, coffee can be totally over stewed the limitless coffee because it's always always on the boil what one thing i would say I bet they don't have sausages uh, they, do, they do break uh, the they sausage do. they do they do mm. uh, the whole what is there for choices for an American breakfast is just about every food group and every kind of ingredient. That that's one big difference, and they really do like their sweet. So you know, so mm. they they do throw on the pancake next to the bacon, and then it's covered Maple in syrup. Maple syrup, yeah, exactly. Which. At first you go, oh, you can't do that. Then you, you chow into it and you go, oh, bloody hell, you know, <laughs> really best America, mm. you know. I am a little bit of a little Englander when yeah. it comes to, to, to my to my <laughs> brekkie. And give me a greasy spoon. All the things that Peter says he doesn't like, I'm like, yeah. nostalgic for home. Yeah. But, you know, well, Royfield, fried look at my bread. point of view. To have, I mean, I love, I love Britain. This is not a criticism of Britain, just the breakfast. But I am brokenhearted to have lost my, you know, my beloved California, my, the glorious town, the city of Oakland, which is my home. And so the, you haven't the, lost it, Peter. You know where it is. I know you, where it can, is, but not, you know, I can't, it's in I your can't. heart, Peter. It's in my heart forever. But you know, I, the least you could have done is just pretend to have to fallen in love with you know your new home no. the same way that I did. There's no pretense, Peter. I've got lots of big love for the Bay Area in California as well. You know, however, I would actually say that 
Californians in particular have a slightly elevated view of uh, the culinary delights of this place. That's not to say that the average Californian oh, yes, actually yes, yes. You're, doesn't... You're 100% right, yeah. They, they go on about how wonderful their food is here. I don't and want to sit it, at a meal and only talk about the food that's in front of me. The, <laughs> the, the food is a, a context at, at which you you talk, right? Mm, it's a bonus there you go. as to why you're there. There you go. They go on and on about how great their food is here. And no, the truth of the matter is, it is two degrees better than, than the UK. But the actual, uh, the amount of choices that you have in terms of cuisines here is much less than the UK. They actually have, in terms of the broadness uh, of their eating palate here, it's actually less. However, the actual quality of the food they, they eat is actually better. But my God, do they go on about it here. And it does become tedious. And I agree with Peter. You know, you go around to someone's house for dinner, or you go out for dinner, you don't talk about the food, right, to the way that they do. It's just, that's just an aid for you to get around and commune with people. But they drone on. However, I love the place, but they're bloody hellfire. Anyway, give me a greasy spoon, a builder's mug of tea where you can stand up that spoon <laughs> in it, and I'm well happy. And a fried uh, so- ice instead of... A hash brown. So, and, and, and brown sauce. There's mm. no brown sauce over here. Black pudding. You know what? I came very late to the black pudding game, being West Indian and all. We, we, we don't eat that. <laughs> and I thought, oh, God, no. Yeah. Smashing. Well, uh, you can also now enjoy the last seven days social media action with our Sue. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Yeah. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello lovely people, it's Siri here, Queen or Tart, with the Social Media Roundup. It's been a bit of a difficult week, hasn't it? I think we can all agree on that. We've got all sorts of split opinions on Alice. Some people think she's a scared little girl. She's justified in panicking. Our Sandra said that. Lorelai said, it's time to put your big girl pants on. And other people are saying, though, there's lots of research. It hasn't been realistic for them. And some people think that they've not shown the full horror of their experiences. Just shows that you can't please all the people all the time and everybody has it differently. I'm in a huge agreement with Catherine who said Chris needs someone to talk to and there's a lot of worry about what's going to happen with the family. What's Brian going to say when Alice tells him she can never have another drink? That's going to be an interesting day. On a lighter note, we've now got a description of how to avoid spoilers in your field. Uh, Gail Robinson gave us the full thing and I pinned it up to the top of the feed in the Dumpty Dum Facebook post. So hopefully that will make it easier for people to work out what to do next. I still, like everybody else, on a Friday night think I really, really wish that I could just work out what was going on and where my thing's gone. It's it's all a question of when you listen. Do you listen and how many times do you listen? Do you listen at seven o'clock? Do you listen at two o'clock the next day? Is it on BBC Sounds? Is it on podcast? Are you there for the minibus edition? Um, There are still lots of us on a Friday night sitting thinking, oh, 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 seven o'clock and it never happens. Is this ever going to leave us until we get our Friday nights back? I think probably not. Charles Aptka sent us a really lovely post about a new apple variety that's been discovered by a Wiltshire runner. Can you imagine how much joy Joe would have got out of that? The prospect of another apple ready to make cider from and have something else to go with his tumble tussock. I really miss the cider club. I really miss the days when there was so much lovely fluff. Uh, I'm talking of fluff, we've got Eddie's metal detector. Generally, it seemed to be that you all thought that he was going to either find a load of old tat or absolutely nothing or possibly Stefan's body. We will still always have Stefan's body to look back to. Mia wants him to find some integrity and Glyn, I'd like him to find a conscience. I think we're all going to be waiting an awful long time for that. Some really, really loved David's truth or dare rehearsal story and some people really, really, really didn't. Fiona, she has no patience for daft games. Uh, Her mother used to say, acting is simple, get on, say the words, get off. I like that very much. Darcy adores David, whereas Karen thinks that David would 
If he could have one interesting thing to say about himself, that would be his lie. And Joanne said she spent the whole scene thinking if he doesn't want to be there, why on earth did he volunteer in the first place? So I think we need some levity. I think we need some lightness. And we had a lovely post, a lovely snaps post from Witherspoon looking at what nice things had happened during the last week or so. And Yokel Bear got given some UFO and dino socks by his work colleagues. I was extremely envious of those. Sarah Evans saved a sparrow. My lace knitting's going very well, although my wool is stuck somewhere in Felixstowe with 11,000 containers of PPE. Sharon got to have time with a puppy. Oh, so gorgeous. Uh, Sue got to see people over Zoom for the first time in 57 years. I do hope you'll have another one soon. I think what we can learn from this week, what we can learn from looking at Alice and Chris and looking at the world around us is we've got to take every day as a new day and just get on with it. And I hope that you all stay safe and well and happy. Uh, Sandra will be with you next week and I look forward to talking to you soon. Thank you for that, Sue. You know what, Sue? We need a B corner for early 2021. Uh, so don't forget, let us know what's happening in the hive. Peter. Yes. Last week, we didn't have tweets of the week. Well, we did, but it was probably better, it, it, good that it didn't go out because you two were very disapproving of um, my offerings. Not well, disapproving. The first one, I just couldn't possibly laugh. The second one and the third one, I laughed a little bit, but they did get lost. Yeah. There was a technical hitch listener last week, and actually the back end of uh, last week's show didn't actually record, and when you heard the quality of the tweets of the week is probably a blessing. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> anyway, Peter, redeem yourself, sir. Oh, redeem God. yourself. No pressure. But we're going to start with, as always, bronze, bronze, silver, gold in the traditional order. So in bronze, there's Charlie Notton. That's at 19, the numerals, C-E-N. And Charlie says, I wouldn't say David Archer was one-dimensional, I'd say he was the single most boring person ever to have issued forth upon the grey fields of tedium set upon rampant monotony. But that's just me. <laughs> yes, of course. Yeah, I think after last week's experience, I might have lent into uh, what's going to make Kerry laugh a bit more. Anyway. <laughs> Thanks. So there you go. There's that one. And in silver position, we've got um, Angelica Zippoli, and that's at Zip with two Ps, 2005. Angelica says... Oh, look, another asshole bloke in the archers, Roman. Oh. Yeah. So, um, yeah, okay, we're back to form. This is Why fine. does she think <laughs> he's an asshole? Is that supposed Pardon? to be funny? Why does she think he's an asshole? Well, I mean, I, I, I kind of thought he was. I mean, I think he's kind of like, a, I think he's another Lee. I think he's just a bit too kind of smarmy and lovey-dovey and, oh. you know, I mean... I, Anyway, okay. Well, this is this is fine. One for one at the moment. Let's see if I can. Um, all I need is two from three. That's that's all I okay. need. So here we are. The other one was better. Switch them round. <laughs> it's too late, Kerry. This is this is. There has to be some. There has to be some kind of you know rules yeah, uh, okay. to all of this stuff. Sorry. So uh, here we are. Um, God, this is, there's a lot of tension now, isn't there? What's going to happen? <laughs> um, gold position. Helen Walmsley J at the Vintage Year, and um, David never really gets on with pigs along with almost every other living organism and some dead ones. <laughs> yes, because yeah. it's spot on, isn't it? <laughs> 
So, yeah. Very good. I laughed my head off at two ones that are awful about David. So, yeah, just bash David <laughs> and you get an instant guffaw from um, oh, from Kerry. And silence from Royfield for all three. Mar- yeah. <laughs> Mark you. <laughs> Royfield? Uh, no, well, I, I just thought Kerry, Kerry uh, summed up my feelings for all of those tweets. Uh, and she uh, was very expressive. <laughs> so How I about just earlier thought... when she called me insincere and immodest? <laughs> As I said, generally I line up behind Auntie Kerry okay. in, 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 in most things. So, yeah. mm. <laughs> right, folks, uh, the drawing uh, proceedings to a close. Uh, it's been um, a Monday, so we've recorded a dum-de-dum. You'll probably get this on a Tuesday. Well, you will, because um, I can't edit it in time because of the time difference. So, you get, so it's a Tuesday for you, or a Wednesday, or possibly even a Thursday. <laughs> you might even listen to this on a Friday. Who knows? But anyway, folks, what you can do whenever you're listening to this is go on to dumdydum.com because you can register. Things are starting to kick off again uh, back there on uh, dumdydum.com. Most important thing is to get yourself ready for the post-pandemic world. And you're saying, what? Beg your pardon? What's I got to do, dumdydum? It's because that's the whole point attractor. You're forgetting. It was for you to pin yourself to the map of the world. And then you could see which other dum-de-dummers were close by. And then uh, through the wondrous magic, the technical bits of code which Jesse has written, you can then magically message uh, that person who's close to you and say, oh, bloody hell, they're, just, they're also in Catford. And then in the post-COVID <laughs> world, we're out of our bubbles, you can then basically send a message and say, you like the archers, you like dum-de-dum, your favourite character is Linda or Kenton or whoever and uh, why don't we uh, meet and talk about the archers and Peter and Kerry over a cuppa maybe you can have a full English to keep things you know <laughs> with, with, the, with the podcast so that's what you can do on dumdum.com if you have a profile go on dust it off said as I said earlier on uh, we've noticed because what the map is doing is auto filling from where you say that you are so if you say you're in Norwich without saying UK it's actually pinning you in Norwich in, in Connecticut uh, Sally Hodgson uh, so um, so go on dust off your profile uh, put the country that you're also in as well and in the post-COVID world, which is just around the corner, we can get tractoring. We can get um, having informal meetups. <laughs> Patreon.com. Go there, $2 per show. So anyway, so that's Patreon.com. And thank you to everybody who does donate, not only on Patreon, but also on PayPal. Yes. Remember, to get in contact, you can send us a voice message via SpeakPipe on the website or call 0203-031-3105 to leave a message. Or you can text your message to us by starting your message with DUMB to 077-862-00690. On Twitter, you can find us where we are at DUMDUDUM. I can be found at Royfield, that's R-O-I for India, F-I-E-L-D. I'm at Kerry Warbis, which is K-E-R-I-W-A-R-B-I-S. Pete Fickling of Feedback Fame, how can you be found? At Pete Fickling. Smashing, that simple. Uh, Facebook, uh, you can go on to Facebook. And um, if you're a member of our Facebook group, uh, you will see uh, the invite for Fridays, 4 p.m. UK time, which is rather early for us in North America. But that's the only time that Jackie Smith, 4.30, sorry, 4.30 uh, p.m. Uh, that's the only time that Jackie could actually do 
at the Zoom, you'll see the invite. You know what? Go tell your friends. If, you, if you're into Strictly, I think we'd safely call this a uh, Archer's dum de dum Strictly mashup. I'm presuming there's going to be quite a few questions about her time on Strictly and how it all works and dancing with Anton. That's that. Facebook. Twitter. Oh, big up to the Flick App Posse. I like some <laughs> Flick App action. Why don't you join me? by downloading the Flick app. Quite simply, go onto the, uh, the Apple Store or the Google Play Store, uh, download the Flick app. It, so it's all about sports. Uh, download that, dissuade you. It's the same, said, same app. And uh, then you go then you go and find Dumpty Dum. Uh, that's that. Oh, and also big ups to the people who've been putting uh, the international sign of Dumpty Dum on their Twitter profiles. Uh, some people call it the flag in the pool. I call it uh, the international sign for bunting and uh, put that next to your name. And then um, also it's just a little special call sign, isn't it? It's a little funny handshake, uh, which we're doing uh, on that platform just to know that you is cool, we is cool, we is family. Right. Uh, I suppose I should pay out some sister sledge now. That was we are family, wasn't it? It was indeed, yeah. Auntie Kerry. Mm. Would you like to uh, say au revoir to the listeners? Ah, goodbye, everybody, and see you in a few weeks because other people are doing next Monday, I think, aren't they? (laughs) Oh, yes, yes. Oh, we have a surprise (laughs) pairing, folks. Uh, A blast from the past, that's all I'm going to say. Pete Ficklin, your sign-offs are always pretty epic. Well, have fun, everyone. Uh, but that's me, my mouse running away with me, and I'm not doing that. I'm playing my little mashup mix, which I did last night. Kept me up till all hours. Uh, I love me some Bob Marley. Uh, here is my little mix with him uh, singing jamming over a bed of disco loveliness with a two-step garage beat. I give you Bob Marley. Tacky bye. I want to jam it with you. With jamming, jamming, and I hope you like jamming too. In our rules ain't no vow, we can do it anyhow. I and I will see you through. Cause every day we pay the price, we'll deliver sacrifice. Jamming till the jam is through. Alright, we're jamming. I wanna jam it with you. With jamming, jamming, and I hope you like jamming too. In a room, say no foul, we can do it anyhow. I and I will see you through. Cause every day we pay the price, we'll deliver sacrifice. Jamming till the jam is through. Alright, we're jamming. I wanna jam it with you. We're jamming, jamming, jamming till the jam is through. We're jamming, and we're jamming in the name of the Lord. And we're jamming.